Hey, got a question for you. Have you ever said to someone in your life, I would never have gotten here without you? You ever said that to someone? I mean, like they come out of their office in the lobby of a big facility to walk you to the place that you're supposed to go, and you go down back alleyways and under the basement, you go, I never would have made it here without you. Maybe it ta someone takes you on a trail through the mountains, and you see the most spectacular things, but you know, I would have never gotten here without you. Um, several weeks ago, my two oldest sons, we went hiking up in Colorado at 13,000 feet. My oldest son is a guide, a backcountry guide, and I mean, I want to say I almost died with you, but you got me to where I'm supposed to be, and so just I would have never gotten here without you. Maybe someone meets you, you know, in the entrance to a big, big neighborhood, and that helps you find the right house. I never would have gotten here without you, and you decided along the way that you trusted them enough to follow them. And maybe somewhere along the way when you were wavering, they looked at you and said, hey, hey, just, just follow me. Just follow me. And somehow along the way, you were convinced that they were worth following that they could get you really where you needed to go and you could trust them. Well, we're in this series called The Beginner's Guide to Predicting Your Future, that there is a predictable destination in our lives. And that certainly is true when it comes to driving. If you go, you know, I-75 South, you're going to head towards Florida. But that's also true of every part of our lives. It's true when it comes to our marriages. It's true when it comes to our morality, when it comes to our finances, our profession, and our faith, that there is a direction that we can take. And this is what we've said throughout the series, that direction not intention determines destination. Direction in my marriage is where my marriage will go. Not intention. And you know, when you get married, you have these intentions. Like we want to be in love and we want to you know, serve each other. But those are all intentions. But intentions fall short. It's direction that makes all the difference with your finances. You may say, hey, we want to be in a place financially as a family where we save more than we spend. That is our intention. But it's the direction you take, not your intentions that get you where you want to go. Now, I have to say, when it comes to this, this bottom line that it's our direction, not intentions, that predict our destination, my, I was having dinner with my daughter on Wednesday, and she said, hey, Dad, you know that message you gave Sunday? And she's a 20-year-old in college. I'm just kind of bragging on me for just a second. I was like, my daughter actually listens to me preach once in a while. I'm so thankful for that. But she said, yeah, you know what? I always thought it was about intentions, but it really is about the direction I take with my life. And you know, that's what we want our kids to come to the conclusion. It's always directions because intentions are not good predictors, are they? It's why if you have a daughter or a son, if you have a daughter, she brings home a boy and she says, dad, he is so cute. And look at his blue eyes and his hair blows in the wind. As a dad, you're like, I don't care about any of that stuff. I don't care how pretty or ugly he is. What I care about is his current behavior and his past behavior. Because it will tell us where he's going to go with his behavior in the future. And he may say he's going to take care of you and love you and be with you. But listen, it's his behavior that predicts it. Um, it's intentions. Are not, intentions are not good predictors. And this is what we know, that direction trumps in, intention every time. And if you were here last week, you, you know, we walked through a set of disconnects between where we intend to go with our life and the direction we take. And it was kind of brutal. I walked through a whole list of them. Some of them I had to kind of think through in my own life. I had to live with it for a couple weeks. And if you missed last week, I would suggest you go back and maybe watch that because there's some big connect, disconnects between what we intend to do with our lives and the direction we take. And we got to figure that out. Now today, I specifically want to talk about this word, direction. That there's a direction in our life that we want to go. And I need to tell you this ahead of time. At the end of the message today, I'm going to invite everybody in the room 
to put their faith and trust in Jesus. So I just want you to know that. Because some of you are here and you're like, listen, I am a miles and miles away from trusting faith in Jesus for anything in my life. And we respect that. I just want to let you know I'm going to do that. For some of you, you're like bumping right up to the edge of the faith line. Like, I think I'm starting to believe. And today may be your day that turns around the direction of your life. And maybe if you're like me, you've been following Jesus for a long time. And you're like, yeah, I follow Jesus, but not with every part of my life. Well, today might be your day to go, I'm all in. I'm going to go and follow Jesus with abandon. Where he goes, I go. Because this is what we believe, that there's a direction when it comes to follow Jesus. And it takes us on a de- to a destination that we never regret. When we boldly say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my money. Here's my relationships. Here's my kids. Here's my faith. Here's my trust. We never regret it because he takes us to a destination that is so incredible. In fact, what you heard today, what Kylie said is, listen, I would have never, I would have never gotten here without you, Jesus. I mean, when she said that, I had shame and I had control and my life wasn't going in a good direction. And then Jesus kind of took over. It's a game changer, isn't it? Oh, I was talking to one of the volunteers, uh, a woman in our church of volunteers in our office on Monday, and we we're just chatting it up. And she said, hey, you, you know when I came to LifeHouse, and it was a long time ago on Easter at the PAC Center. Some of you remember that when we had church at the PAC Center. She said, I walked in, and I didn't think God could love me because I didn't think God loved people like me because I didn't view myself as a good person. So if you're here and you don't view yourself as a good person, you're amongst company. But she said, I sat down, and as I listened and as I watched, I get this overwhelming sense that Jesus loved me right where I was in the mess that I was in, and he loved me. And, you know, she's getting emotional, and I'm getting emotional. It was just going to be a light conversation. I went, there it is. I would have never gotten here without Jesus. It's why we love baptism stories. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a story of Jesus brought to you by one of his very closest friends, a man named John. And this comes from the book of John, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one of the four Gospels in the New Testament, the back half of the Bible. And the Gospels are just simply this, the history and the story of Jesus' life. Well, John was one of Jesus' closest friends. John, um, interestingly enough, was the one that told us that God is love. The world didn't really know that God was love until John wrote it down. And the reason why John wrote God is love is because he looked love in the eyes. He spent time with what love was. He looked at love be crucified on a cross, and he watched love rise from the dead when he encountered Jesus at every stage of his life. It's so interesting. When you read John's writings, and I hope you do, it's an incredible book to read. He refers to himself along the way as the one that Jesus loved. And I don't think he says that because he thought Jesus loved him more than everybody else maybe did. I think he... (laughs) excuse me, referred himself as the one that Jesus loved because he just felt felt such overwhelming love from his Savior. He just thought, yeah, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm the one that Jesus loves. Well, John tells us the story. It's shortly after Jesus fed the 5,000 with loaves and fish, and then Jesus walks on water to get away from the crowd because they were just always mobbing him, and he needed a break because he was human like the rest of us and God at the same time. And Jesus gets on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd finds him there. 
And they do to Jesus what we all kind of do to Jesus, and this is okay, but it's just kind of how we do it when we, we talk to God or we talk to Jesus and we pray. You ever done this? Like you got a big thing to ask Jesus about your family or your kids or your job, and it's like a big ask, like I need help, I need help. But before, before you do it, you got to kind of reintroduce yourself to Jesus. Have you ever had that conversation? Like I got a big ask, Jesus, but hey, uh, this is Matt. Remember me? We talked about three months ago. Yeah, I'm back. Um, I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I hope the moon and the stars are all doing the right place. Thanks for keeping those up there. Um, but now I need, and you get to the I need part as fast as you can. I want, I need, please help. And that's okay. But that's how we all kind of interact with God at some time in our life. And that's exactly what happens. This crowd finds Jesus. And John, who was there, said, when they, the crowd, found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him. So, so they go into small talk, but really what they want is the big question, the big want. But they ask him, they said, they asked him, Rabbi. And when you see the word Rabbi, it, it just means Jesus was a teacher. But he was a teacher with some special power because he's multiplying loaves of bread and fish and people had heard about it. Rabbi, when did you get here? It's just small talk. They don't really care about that. But like, hey, Jesus, how was your trip? How was the boat ride? How'd you sleep last night? Are you hungry? Can we help you? When did you get here? It's just small talk because they got a big ask for Jesus. And it's going to be, give me, give me, give me, give me. Because that's the you know, way a lot of us work as human beings. But Jesus knew their heart. And Jesus always knew their heart. And before they could get the next thing out, Jesus says, you, all of you, you big crowd, you, you're looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed. We'll come back to that. But because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. <laughs> you're looking for me because you're hungry again. You just want some more food trucks to roll in. You want a steak and a potato and a salad. That's why you're looking for me, but not because of the signs that I performed. And see, Jesus was all about these amazing signs. Jesus, when he did miracles, when he was on the planet, didn't do miracles just to do them and show off. And people go, wow, that's awesome. They were a sign that pointed to something bigger and better about who God was, that God had shown up. The signs that Jesus performed was that God was in the house, and the house is full of love right now. And I am the embodiment of my heavenly Father. That the kingdom of here is, the kingdom of God is here. And it's bigger than the law and the temple and your past mistakes and your daddy's mistakes and your grandpa's mistakes. It's trumping everything. You're not even worried about the signs. You said you're just worried about filling up your bellies. And that, that's okay because that's a need. So they asked him. Somebody steps up. Somebody speaks up, raises their hand. They asked him, what must we do? to do the works God requires. In other words, how do we do those food tricks, you know, where we multiply food because we don't want to be hungry again? Now, the reason that they chased after Jesus and the crowds at this point wanted to be around him is because he could produce food on a level no one had ever seen. 2,000 years ago, your biggest concern in life was, how am I going to eat my next meal? They couldn't refrigerate food. They couldn't grow it fast enough. And you couldn't hunt it fast enough. And so if someone could provide food, you, they just wanted to make you king. And so now Jesus, they want to make him king. He doesn't need a campaign. He doesn't have to have any kind of convention. They just want to make him king because he can produce food. And they're like, hey, Jesus, how do you do those food tricks? We just want that. But Jesus answered, John tells us, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Guys, here's the whole deal. God sent me so you would put your trust on me. God, God sent me so you would believe in me. And I know you don't understand this yet, but there'll be a day when I rise from the dead, and he didn't say this to him. This is where the story goes. But you'll be able to trust me completely. 
Well, they weren't buying this at the time, so another guy tries. So another guy steps up, and John says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? So they're just trying to get him to make more food, and they take another attack at Jesus, trying to you know, get him to do something they want. And so they go back into their family Jewish history. And so somebody else says, our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And what they do in this moment is they lean into history. And you may not know this, so let me just catch you up. Many of you do that the Jewish people were lost in the desert for a long time on the way to the promised land. And the way God provided for them, and this is an amazing story, is he would rain down what's called manna or bread from heaven every day. And I know it's almost unbelievable, but people saw it and participated into it. And so the Jewish people had held on to this idea that God could bring you know, bread from heaven and feed them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, do that thing. Just call on heaven and make it rain bread. Do that. Jesus is so patient and compassionate because he said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father. You, you guys are just looking for another Moses, right? You're just looking for a little more bread, something to get you through the day. There is something so much better that comes from my heavenly Father. And he uses the phrase, my Father, because it's how he addressed God. And if you haven't been around our church, this is we talk about this all the time, that Jesus introduced God as a heavenly Father, a good Father, a perfect Father. So we would not view God as some far off, distant, I'm mad at everybody, but a good father that wants to bring his children home. He goes on, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and it gives life to the world. Not temporary bread, not bread that turns moldy, not that bread that you're hungry five hours later. It's life in me. The bread is just a sign of who I am, and I've come to be in the middle of you. I am God in a bod, and I've come to be with you. But they couldn't see it at the time. So someone else says, hey, sir, talking to Jesus, they said, always give us this bread. So just rain it down. Just bring it. Just make our lives easier, because that's what they were after. And you know, some of us show up in places like this, and I certainly have done this many times, just because I want life to get easier. But that's never the promise. What Jesus said next is the promise for us all. Because Jesus declared, he said out loud, I'm the bread of life, guys. If you're looking for life, it's going to be in me. If you're looking for love and peace and joy in eternity, it's going to be in me. And they were so confused. And it had been a long day. Jesus had been preaching probably longer than he should. And then he goes into this weird teaching about, hey, so I'm the bread of life, and you got to eat my body. It's the strangest thing. And everybody's like, we're not doing that. And he didn't literally mean eat my flesh, eat my body. He was being figurative of what would happen when his body was broken on the cross. And then he said, you got to drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Literally, we're not vampires. I mean, that's what they're thinking. We're not doing that. But he wasn't being literal. He was being figurative about the Lord's Supper, the body and the bread and the, the wine and the blood. But he's saying, listen, you're going to find life in me. But they're starting to lose interest. This is getting too weird. It's getting too strange. And they're starting to pull back from Jesus. The crowd is starting to go, oh, this is getting uncomfortable. In fact, I would guess at this point that John and Peter wanted to grab Jesus by the elbow and just kind of pull him aside and say, Matthew, Matthew, go tell some tax collector jokes to those people because they're the funniest jokes we know because Matthew was a tax collector and we're going to talk to Jesus. I bet what they wanted to say is, Jesus, can, 
can you chill out on the whole eat your body and drink your blood thing? That's really weird. And we're losing the crowd. Hey, can, can you just like teach about prayer maybe? Yeah, that would be great. Like you did that time when we were on the side of the mountain. Or tell the story of the Good Samaritan. That's a great story. Although, don't make it a Good Samaritan. Make it a good Jewish person because everybody's going to like that story. Jesus, talk about something positive. In fact, maybe you ought to bring in some more bread because they really like that. You're losing the crowd. The crowd is dispersing. This is what John tells us. He was there that day. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And when you read the word disciples in this verse, they're not talking about the 12 guys. The disciples was this large crowd of people that followed Jesus wherever we go. And some of them had been with Jesus since Jesus got baptized, which had been a long time ago. And now these people that have been with Jesus a long time, they start to waver and wonder. Jesus knows, he says, aware. Aware that his disciples, this large crowd of people, were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Hey, you guys got second thoughts? Is this getting too hard? Do you want to quit on me? And this is what we're told from that time. Many of his disciples, the big crowd, turned they're back and no longer followed him. Now, as Jesus watched the crowd just kind of back out, hey, I gotta use the restroom and they never return, I'm just gonna slink away, they just kind of slowly moved in the other direction. A lot of them, they walked away from their faith in Jesus the same reason you walked away from your faith in Jesus at one time and why I did. For some of you, you were in high school. And you prayed with all of your heart, oh Lord, let me get into that college. Let me get that scholarship. Let me have a good enough ACT or enough money to go to that university and it didn't work out. And you're like, well God, if I'm gonna pray and it's not gonna come through, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go in another direction. Maybe it was after that, you prayed that you get a job that you always dreamed about and it didn't work out and now you're doing a job and have a career you don't want. And you're like, Jesus, I asked you for something better and you didn't give it to me. This is just hardly worth it. Maybe it was your first marriage, it didn't work out. Maybe it's a child that's kind of gone in a direction that breaks your heart and you prayed for them and they haven't come back yet. Maybe for you, it was a friend, it was a parent, it was a spouse that you prayed, Jesus, just, you gotta heal them. You gotta make them well. And they didn't get well. And when they didn't get well, you just decided, if this is the way this is, I am backing out. And, and we understand that, I understand that. we've all gone through that stuff, but that's where the crowd is in this moment. If it's gonna be this difficult and I'm not gonna get what I want, I'm just gonna kinda go the other direction. Because the crowd, so much like we do at times, they're looking for something that's just less filling. They just want some more food, something that lasts you know, a day, or the end of the next day. What Jesus wanted them to have was something that was more fulfilling, something that would last them for eternity. He knew the world was broken, and in order to redeem us broken people, everything just couldn't be fixed in a day because he was working to bring us back to him. And he watches the crowds leave. Now, the crowds were really important to Jesus, but more important to his followers because the crowd, and maybe you've heard me say this before, they ensured safety to his followers. 
Because wherever Jesus went, there always was gobs of people. They wanted to be healed. They wanted to hear his preaching. They wanted to be around him. And Jesus had a hard time getting away from the crowds. It's not like a black SUV could roll up and he'd jump in and take off and go away, right? The best he had was to jump on a donkey and trot away. Can't you see that? Like, I'm getting away from you, and they're just all trotting behind him. And so wherever Jesus went, there was these crowds of people. But it ensured the safety of his followers because Rome and the Jewish leaders couldn't hurt Jesus if all these people around him, because they would revolt up against that. And now, Dave, who had been around since Jesus' baptism, he's walking away. Now Susie, that had been a faithful supporter and a giver and someone that was an encourager, she'd always been in the crowd. Now she's bailing on us too. And so is Mike and so is Steve. And they're, they're leaving. And these people that had been proud of the crowd, they're bailing on this whole thing. And Jesus is looking around. He's watching it. But he's also looking at his 12 closest guys that someday he would turn the church over to. And he knows their heart. And he says, you. I'm you. You do not want to leave too, do you? They're like busted. Yeah, Jesus, we're kind of thinking about slinking away too because this is getting uncomfortable. It's getting hard. They're facing the thing we all face when things don't work out the way we want. It's getting hard. It's so amazing in this moment. Peter, who had made so many mistakes and got things wrong so many times in this moment, has clarity beyond clarity. He sees through all the heartache, and all the discouragement. And this is what Peter said. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? I, I don't really like that message you just gave, Jesus. And I don't know what we're doing, and I'm really discouraged the crowd is leaving, but I don't know where else I would go. I don't know where we're supposed to go, and I don't know how we're supposed to get there, wherever it is. But I'm starting to get real convinced that you do. So whom shall we go? I mean, this whole sermon thing that you just gave Jesus, it was weird and it's uncomfortable and I wish you'd tell more jokes and be funny and bring more bread. I, I get that, but I don't know where I'm supposed to go and I don't know how to get there, but I, I'm starting to believe you do. We're losing our rock star status when the crowd leaves Jesus and it's just gonna be the 12 of us and you. I'm not sure how that's gonna work out, but listen, I, I've chased after a lot of things. And I don't know where to go and I don't know how to get there, but I, I think you do. And that's the place that we all get to. That's when you heard Kylie's baptism story. I don't know what else to do. I've been in control. I've tried to handle it. I tried to get it right. And it didn't go right. So Jesus, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to relinquish control to you. That's exactly what Simon Peter is saying. And then he goes on. He says, you have the words of eternal life. You see, Jesus, we've run into you, and you have a better picture of who we are than we have of who we are. You know our hearts. You have a better picture of who God is and who scripture, what Scripture is and eternity. And in you, there is something that's past just who we are. And we have come to a place. We, we have come to the place to believe, not just to believe, to know that you're the Holy One of God. I mean, before you, Jesus, and maybe this is why you're here today. Before you, I was just fishing. Every day I'd go out and I'd pull the nets up and we'd catch fish and I'd take my paycheck home and we're raising kids and that's great and we're getting through the day and we're trying to survive our marriage. Before you, though, that's all I was doing and now I wake up every morning in my life and I realize there's an eternal purpose for me. I was created in the image of God for something bigger than just getting through a day and surviving. I'm living with purpose, on purpose at this point. 
Jesus, to whom shall we go? We've tried it all. We've been down all the roads. We've landed with you, and there's nothing better. We don't understand it all. That's okay. But whom shall we go? This is the question I hope we all ask today. This is the question I think takes us to the feet, the heart, the presence of Jesus. For, for me, that was 30 years ago. 30 years ago, I was kind of living what I thought was my best life. Some of you heard me say this. I was a college athlete. I had a Division I scholarship. It's what I always wanted to do. It's what I always wanted to be. But I was pretty empty inside. And I ran smack into Jesus, dab into Jesus at 20 years old. I should say back to Jesus. And all of a sudden, I found what I was missing. And I thought I had it, but I realized I didn't have it. I was just kind of surviving, just getting through life. And I found this love and passion and joy in Jesus. It changed my entire life. And I found forgiveness that I desperately needed to the point where I got back to school. I turned in my scholarship because for me, I just needed to say no to sports and yes to Jesus. That's not for everybody, and that's not for you know, everybody all the time. But for me, that's where I was in my life. And then this crazy thing, I felt like... I was supposed to be a full-time pastor. And back when I was 20 and you wanted to be in full-time ministry, this is what you were promised. Most likely, you were going to be poor the rest of your life. You are going to work in a church where church people could be mean to you, because I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but church people can be mean sometimes. You guys with me on that? Not here. But sometimes that can happen. And just live kind of a miserable life, but I was going to do it. And I wanted to marry this beautiful young lady named Tina. And this was my invitation to Tina. Tina, would you marry me? And we'll spend the rest of our lives poor together. Honey, here's my heart. Isn't that great? Yeah. Now, if I knew it was going to turn out like this, I would never have hesitated. I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is no problem. But I didn't know it was going to turn out like this. I feel so fortunate to be a part of what this place does and who Jesus is in it. But for me, it's like, you know what? I don't have answers to all those things. But where else am I going to go? Who else am I going to follow? Where else am I going to get peace and purpose and love? And here's what God never promised me, and he never promises you this, just a happy ending or an easy ending. Never says, hey, it's just going to all work out. In fact, some of you know, as you follow Jesus, some things don't work out. But in the middle of it, you have an eternal purpose and love in your life. It's why Peter, he was looking at all these struggles, and his question was still, to whom shall I go, Jesus? I got no other direction. I don't know where to go, and I don't know how to get there, but I think you do. This is such a profound thing. I would love for us all to say this out loud. Would you do that with me? Let's just say this. Ready? To whom shall I go? Let's do it one more time. Ready? To whom shall I go? Yeah. I mean, that's the question we boil it down to. And here's what you need to know. The men and women that followed Jesus, especially after the resurrection, when he validated who he said he was by rising from the dead, they had doubts and they had fears and they had questions. But what they found is he was the best there was, better than anything else by far, that life in Jesus was like the bread of life. And they were glad for it. Here's what I would tell you. If you put your trust in Jesus and you decide to follow Jesus today, you'll be glad too. And you'll be glad because you realize the end is not the end anymore. When I breathe my last breath, it doesn't mean it's over. I am set free to see things differently. When you say and I say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you with every part of my life, you see your money differently. It's amazing. You see your kids differently. 
You see your marriage differently. Maybe for some of you, you came in here because you've had it with your marriage. You can't stand it another minute, so you decide to come to church, which I'm so glad you did. What if you walked home and you looked at your spouse, your husband, your wife, and all of a sudden you went, huh, I never viewed you through the eyes of sacrifice and love, forgiveness before. Now I do, and now the game is changing. It may not happen overnight, but it does. You might see sex differently. You might see sacrifice differently. You might see your morality differently. And you certainly will see God differently because Jesus is the perfect picture of who God is. And just to be fair, following Jesus is not easy. Anybody that tells you following Jesus is it's easy, they are lying to you. It's very difficult to follow Jesus because he asks us to lay down our lives But here's always the promise, following Jesus is better. It's always better. Because he knows where you're going and he knows how to get there. And and the invitation is to believe not just because some, you know, good-looking pastor who was really funny stood up on stage and said you should do that today, although that's true about him. (laughs) I like this room, half the room, way, way more than this half the room. I don't know, thank you over here. My family showed up today. Now, anyway, not, not because I said it to, not even because you open up a Bible and the scripture said it to, but because men like Matthew, Luke, and John, and Peter, and Paul, and Jesus' own brother James, and his mama Mary, and his other good friend Mary Magdalene, they said, listen, we saw him die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and we thought he was done, and then he came back to life. And you can believe in it. And the invitation will always be to surrender to his direction, to surrender to it. And you can do that if this is a brand new thing for you or you've been following Jesus for a long time. Jesus, I'm surrendering my time, my money, my pastimes, my marriage to you unconditionally. I'm just going to trust. It's a huge word. Trust him with your destination. It's an incredible invitation. And that means if you're here today, and I want to acknowledge this, and You showed up, and this is the first time maybe you've ever even really heard about Jesus in this way. And you're not ready to follow? I get it. I hope you come back. But maybe for some of you, you're just bumping up against the line of faith. Like you're there. You're starting to believe. And it's just just the day for you to take that step across the line and go, okay, Jesus, I've heard enough. I've experienced enough. I've watched enough. I've followed enough. I'm going to trust you. Maybe for some of you, you're at a place where I have followed Jesus for a while, and yeah, I'm so glad I'm going to heaven, and I'm forgiven, but I've not really chosen to follow him with those other parts of my life, with my marriage and my money and my pastime and what's going on secretly in my life, and Jesus today, whew, scary, but I'm going to boldly surrender to you and go to your destination, because I'm convinced that you know where I need to go and you know how to get me there. So what we're gonna do in just a second, we're gonna sing this really incredible song called Build My Life Upon Jesus, or around that idea. And it's not gonna be some big prayer, we're not gonna make you stand up to do this, but I would love for you as we're singing that song, if you just feel like, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna place in my life that I'm ready to surrender and trust Jesus with my life, just tell him. This is all you need to say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna trust you with every area of my life. And yeah, I need you to forgive me because I made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of wrong turns. I need forgiveness for that. But I'm going to follow you where you go. And the invitation is to follow Jesus as your Savior. 
And if you're not ready to trust him as your savior, you can still just march in the direction that he's at. Keep coming back. Keep walking through it. Keep trying to see where he takes you because you are surrounded by many, many people that are glad they put their faith and trust in the Savior of the world. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and the invitation is to follow with all that you have. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful for this story, that John captured this for us, that we would know, Jesus, that you are the bread of life. And when we wrestle with that question of whom shall I go or where shall I go, that we could confidently march towards you as our Savior and our Heavenly Father. Lord, in the next few moments, I pray some people would make decisions that would turn the direction of our, their lives towards you in a better direction. Not just easier, but better. And thanks for dying on the cross and rising from the dead to prove that you are who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.